welcome to J.P. Morgan TV. I'm Bruce Kasman, and with me this week is Joe Lupton. This is a good Thursday, and we're doing the uh, recording one day earlier than normal. Uh, so, Joe, I want I want to talk about the the near term uh, position of the global consumer, uh, which is critical to where the outlook is going. Uh, certainly, as we've been highlighting, inflation is spiking. There's a huge purchasing power squeeze, uh, but we've also been highlighting the really healthy fundamentals the consumer has at the same time. So you've written a piece on this this week. We've got some new data to process. Let's just start with the um, the issue around what is it that we're seeing in terms of the consumer doing as we move through the first quarter? Uh, I mean, there's a lot of moving parts, even for the near term, let alone once we get to the, the more medium term. Uh, you know, we, we kind of came into the year thinking things were going to be strong, and then we got hit by a number of shocks. In, in the U.S., we lost some fiscal support that we thought we were going to get. We had that inflation surge. Uh, you had the Omicron wave that was weighing on uh, on Europe and and um, largely Europe, and then that came to the U.S. as well. Uh, what what you got out of it in terms of tracking was a consumer that just blew right through it, was super strong early in the quarter, and that's starting to roll off. Right in today's retail sales report, um, you know, showed a pretty sluggish consumer at the end of the quarter, and that's going to set you up for a weak second quarter. But then you look at Europe, you look at Japan, which seems to have been hit a lot harder by the Omicron wave and had some some outright contractions at the end of last year into the early part of this year. Um, things are starting to, to recover somewhat, and we're looking for things to bounce back quite sharply. Uh, so the data kind of show all of these these cross currents. If you add it all up, it's going to be a quarter. Last quarter looks like spending probably stalled a little uh, stalled, and then as we look to the second quarter, we think things pick up. Now I'd say there's probably downside risk to the so near term just because we're very worried. Take a breath, Joe. Take a yeah. breath. Yeah, <laughs> okay. you got me wound up, Bruce. I mean, the <laughs> consumer I've been thinking about for a lot lately. You've been doing a lot on the consumer, and you have yeah. a long experience of looking. At not just of spending as a U.S. consumer, but as as looking at it as an economist. The father of a family of four is also. <laughs> but let's kind of step back a second. As you were saying, the first quarter looks soft, although not all of that is because of the inflation drag. Then we've got this huge purchasing power squeeze that, that, that hits us very hard in March. And... Um, we're kind of trying to track where we're going into the second quarter. So there's a there's two forces, right? There's that drag of higher inflation, and then there's some lift from Omicron. Um, a lot of what your research was on uh, this week is the supports that allow the consumer to offset that purchasing power squeeze. Um, you know, what is it that you think is driving that? And to what degree do you think that is threatened by what we've been watching in terms of consumer confidence going down. Yeah, I mean, the consumer confidence is always a, a source of concern, but um, the the supports are are powerful. I, I often get the question, as I'm sure you do, which is like, geez, we came into the year thinking things were gonna be good. And we got walloped by loss of fiscal, massive inflation, yet things are doing relatively well. What's changed? And what's changed is that the, the the saving rate has just come down much more rapidly. And I think the saving rate was something that 
we in particular at the global level have been pushing as an upside risk for the better part of a year, maybe even longer than a year. Um, and and then what's happened is that's been activated right over the past few months here. It's become what was an upside risk has become the baseline and has become reality. Uh, and so that's huge, right? The saving rate just since the middle of last year has fallen four percentage points, right? That's 4% spending growth, all else equal. And that, that's been, I think, the biggest part of the story. But, you but know, there's, also, there's another part of the story, which is, of course, that given what we've seen in overall growth performance, labor markets have just generated better lab, labor income than we would have expected as well. And it's not just yeah, the job US growth, wages. Yeah. But it's not just it's not just the U.S. and that and that story, mm -hmm. but but nonetheless, um, you know, you mentioned a minute ago some downside risk to Q2. Mm -hmm. um, we still have to be uh, you know cognizant of that and to be uh, making sure we get through the next month or two. But you know, one of the other points you've been making and have been trying to knock me over the head with, um, and I've been. I've been agreeing, but not trying to push it so hard, but I want to give you the platform is sort of the potential, if you can get through the next two or three months, the idea that there is this bigger bounce that might come on the back end of this in the second half of the year. Why don't you kind of let that, yeah, let well, that thought and, and I do think the bridge to that second half it is a little fraught with, with downside risk because you could say the saving rate drawdown maybe can't go as far uh, much faster. Um, uh, obviously, business labor markets could could sputter out a little bit in the face of the 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 business sentiment shock and the consumer sentiment shock. But you get to the second half of the year, the inflation incremental drag from inflation is going to fall significantly. I think last week I was on this call, we were saying five percentage points. I think that's still the case in terms of the drop in sequential headline inflation. That's a monster, uh, you know, improvement to purchasing power growth. And with, you know, the March PMI, the employment PMI, that actually moved up quite sharply and is pointing to very strong job growth continuing. So there is a sense that the fundamentals come into sharper relief in the second half of the year. Of course, balance sheets are amazingly healthy. All of that excess saving, which really hasn't been utilized yet, still sitting there is, is a monster source of support. Uh, you put all that together and that's what gets you the, the, the strong growth story if you get to that. But let's sort of think about another part of the story, which might be more gradually building as a drag, which is rising borrowing costs. Yeah. Um, you know, housing isn't as big a weight in the economy as it was 30, 40 years ago, or even just before the a global financial crisis. Uh, but there are drags there. There is in the European Bank Lending Survey. Uh, this week, some sign that banks may be tightening standards a little bit there. I'm not sure it's on consumers uh, relative to businesses, but uh, are we um, watching a tightening in financial conditions that may not be the acute drag of the um, rising inflation, but maybe something that tempers some of that lift that you're thinking about? Yeah, I mean, the there's a, there's this one's a bit complicated, but you're 100% right. That's the one that is interesting to talk about because on the one hand, you would say if rates are rising because of strong growth, and that's a natural part of the cyclic where we are in the cycle, then of, of course you should be able to offset that because the reason rates are rising is because labor markets are strong, wages are strong, and that offsets any increase in borrowing costs. 
Um, you know, I think the question is, is, is there something kind of different about this rate rising uh, environment that we've seen in the past? And, and you've been making this point to me, um, you know, kind of pointing out what this rate cycle looks like from past rate cycle, particularly on the borrowing costs, because there's what central banks are doing. And then there's the longer end of the curve, which is where people feel it on mortgage rates. And the speed with which the back end of the curve has moved up, it's very different than the last two cycles when a number of external factors, call it the global savings glut or whatever, was keeping rates down. Now rates are moving up very rapidly. And I would point out still that balance sheets are healthy, debt is low, households spent the past expansion getting uh, their debt levels, their leverage down. That's all very healthy, but it's kind of like, how do you weigh these two against each other? Much more rapid increase in long end kind of borrowing costs versus healthy balance sheets. And it's it's not not clear how that plays out. So I want to end by pivoting to a totally different topic, which is next week, we're going to get an awful lot of news out of China. Mm -hmm. um, so why don't you give us a a preview of what <laughs> what we expect and 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 you know what we think the implications of what happens next week are for the China outlook. Yeah, I think it's going to be pretty pretty ugly, and we we've been flagging this for a number of weeks because you know the 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 well, wait, of... wait a minute, you the Q there's the Q1 GDP and the March data. Not all of it is going to be ugly, is it? Yeah, actually, yeah, you're 100% right, Bruce. And this has taken up a lot of oxygen this week and uh, among our team and, and us. So I, what I'm referring to, of course, is the monthly data prints. But you're right. We should first talk about the Q1 number, which I think could be a, a pretty strong number. I mean, it's certainly stronger than what we have, which is below 5%. And we think it could be north of 6%. Um, and and we just started the year on a on a stronger note there, but the the lockdowns are are causing outright contractions in monthly activity. Uh, we're looking for another set of contractions come next month when we get the April data, and you put those together, and it's pointing to something in the low single digits on um, on 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 GDP for for the second quarter. And I, you know, I just don't know exactly how China's going to work its way out of this zero COVID box it's put itself in. I think what it does is it backs away from that, and it does a lot of fiscal stimulus. Um, which, by the way, Bruce, is, since you gave me the platform for strong growth in the second half, I do think if if we're right on the first bit of this conversation and China kind of doubles down on policy support and moves away from zero COVID, China could be roaring in the second half. And boy, you could really be off to the races on the on the global economy there as we get into the latter part of the third quarter into the fourth quarter. Well, we've unleashed your mojo for second half growth. <laughs> And I think just got to get through this kind of buzzsaw of headwinds that we're talking about. Uh, it's going to be pretty, pretty ugly data next week, I think. Yeah, well, we'll leave it there. But that's certainly going to be a big issue in the context of a conversation which is focused on inflation, a lot focused on still the, the Russia conflict, European dynamics, which we haven't really talked about here, but that's important. We don't want to lose sight of that momentum shift we think is taking place in China as well. And we, we expect to see in the March uh, data releases next week. But we'll leave it there. Um, and uh, I wish everybody a, a good holiday and hope that we can continue this conversation next week on JP Morgan TV. Thank you.